And if you have to be consistently educating and consistently like correcting users, then there's probably something that you need to think from first principles. Are we designing things in the right way? Welcome to Airdrop, the show that'll help you understand what NFTs are, how to use them, how they work, and all that good stuff. My name is Raoyan, and I'm here with the phenomenal Phosphorus, and today we're talking to Jamil from Gamma.io. Jamil entered this world almost by happenstance. He was asked to send an NFT to a wallet, but the problem is he had no idea how to do that. So he did what all of us do. He dug deep and tried to figure out how to do it, and... He figured it out. And then he wanted to see which wallets had which NFTs. And that was the birth of Gamma, which is an NFT marketplace on Stacks, if you didn't know. So today we're going to dive into, one, how Jamil's experience at Apple really shaped how he thinks about product development. We're going to talk about how it's different to build things in a bear market versus a bull market. And we're going to talk about the future of NFTs in Web3. And a whole lot more. So Jamil, because of his Apple experience, is big on making products like intuitive, right? How things shouldn't need to come with a manual. Right. You should be able to, hypothetically, open up a box and just figure it out on your own. Right. But NFTs really aren't there yet, if if we're honest. Someone needs to someone needs to make one of those little books that they give you with the with your IKEA furniture for nfts <laughs> right it feels like ikea furniture at this point which <laughs> i've assembled a few of those and it's never a fun experience <laughs> confusing to get confusing to get started with and it might break at any point <laughs> and you might put things on backwards and not know it <laughs> so we at airdrop are here to try to understand how this whole world works not ikea furniture but nfts right. so together we can learn how this technology works for our businesses creative careers and our lives And it would be a huge help for us if you would take three minutes real quick to review this podcast wherever you're listening to podcasts, write a little review, say how much you're learning so other people can find it. And together, more people can learn how NFTs work. And also, if you want to follow on Twitter and say hi, that would be awesome. You can find us on Twitter at The Airdrop Show. And that's all the things, I guess. So without further ado, let's drop in. All right. Today we have Jamil in the house. Jamil from Gamma. Jamil, you want to say hi to the folks? Hey, thanks for having me on, Phosphorus. Yeah. So Jamil's basically been at Stacks from the beginning that I know of. He was one of the first people there that I like started seeing who was involved in Stacks. And so this is just really special for me to have you on the show. And I'm just super excited. So we're going to start the show the way we start every show with the question. The question, can you explain what an NFT is in the most simple language possible? I think you asked me this in in the panel at Bitcoin Unleashed. I don't think my answer has changed. I think there's so many directions you can go with this answer. And the reason is that NFTs can represent anything. NFTs are digital ownership. They are the way that you own things on the internet. And what that means is not up to us. It's not up to the marketplaces. It's up to you. It could mean art. It could mean your membership. It could mean your community. It can mean even ownership over over physical items like this coffee mug. So I think a question like that, you can always box in, you can always go one angle or the other. But I think the beauty of it is that it just represents something that you own on the internet. And if that answer is too vague, 
that just shows the beauty of of what NFTs can be. So why would somebody want to own something on the internet? Yeah, so I think that's a really good question. I think when I own something in in the physical world, I'm very used to having like possession over it. In fact, in order for you to take away this pen from me, you have to like physically grab it from my hands. But we're so used to on the internet, actually, that's not the way we operate. If you have a game on Steam, all someone needs to do is the some developer at Steam can go in and delete a row in a database and suddenly you don't own that game anymore. Or if I have a subscription on Netflix or I have an account on Twitter, some employee on Twitter can go and say you're banned or can say your subscription is canceled. Like if you bought furniture from Ikea and suddenly at any point in time, Ikea could say that bed's not yours anymore and then like vanish it away and it disappears. That's kind of scary, right? We're, we're used to owning things and feeling comfortable with owning things in the physical world, but we simply haven't had that capability to really, really on a personal and fundamental level, own things in the digital world. And and that's the big difference. Yeah, and I see all this talk about like metaverse, right? Like we're going to this digital age. And some can argue that we're already here. Like I do 98% of my work on the internet, right? We're having this conversation through the internet. You're on one side of the country and I'm on another and everything we do at pretty much at this point is digital. So it feels like a natural progression of our you know, human psyche to find digital things you can own, just like I have physical things that I can own. And NFTs are the first way, really, that you can say I own something on the internet that's digital. Do you want to, do you want to give us that backstory? Like, when did you find blockchain technology? Where's your origin story begin in this? My background is not in crypto, although like many people in tech, I I had been dabbling in it for a while. My first exposure to programming was in iOS development. So that's when the like the app store first came out. That was an incredible time. It was a, a time when anything seemed possible, right? This new device came out, the iPhone and the SDK first came out, and you saw a whole range of apps and Almost app seems like a way of trivializing it. Whole new businesses, whole new like industries that came out of this of this device, like Uber and Airbnb and you know Twitter and Facebook sort of got their launch. You know they launched before, but they really came to popularity once the smartphones came out. And I remember, you know, it was a time when when it came out there were twenty thousand apps on the app store, and I'm like, that's way too many. How how are you supposed to stand out in in twenty thousand apps? And now there are 4 million applications on the App Store. So that was my first exposure to programming. And again, it was this is sort of like you can see some of the analogies and, and metaphors to, to the way things are now in crypto. Because I remember I was talking to a family member and I was showing him my, my iPod Touch. I couldn't afford an iPhone back then. And he was like, oh, that's a toy, right? Nobody's going to use this over, over Blackberries or, or, you know, the Palm phones. So you, you sort of see the same sort of derision come from, from, from people outside of crypto now as well. After that, I went to university for computer engineering. That was really where I fell in love with you know programming and coding all over again, because it was sort of understanding things from a very fundamental level, like taking physics courses about transistors and electronics and learning how things are built up from there to the operating system to you know application level things. And then eventually diving into to machine learning toward the end of my undergraduate undergraduate career. 
Then I worked for four years as a machine learning engineer in Proto at Apple, where we were playing around with embedded devices like the Apple Watch and bringing ML models to these small, computationally constrained devices that don't have much processing power. But you wanted to bring bring great experiences to, to, to those devices. One example of a feature uh, is on the AirPods, right, which are a very small device, but have more processing power than many computers that you were familiar with or may have grown up with. That's crazy. And they have like different processors. They have they have two accelerometers. They have so many different sensors in these AirPods. It's almost like a, a little robot when you think of it, like with the amount of capability, compute and sensors that it has. And so one simple thing that made AirPods a great experience was that you just put them in your ear and they'd start playing music. And they were one of the first devices to do that. And it seems like such a simple problem, but the attention to detail they put into that feature, the amount of you know, engineering effort and complexity and design thought that goes into something like that, I think is something that differentiated Apple from a lot of the competitors in all of the products that they work on. Yeah, yeah Apple really was on the forefront of making technology accessible in a weird way. Like I built my own computer in eighth grade because it was fun, but I was still a nerd. It wasn't cool until Apple came out and you had the iPod and and it was on everybody's pocket and it was slick and it was designed really well. And they just took over the hardware market. Now, now Apple dominates in the hardware market. And there's something about when you talk about the app store coming out and how most of our, it's just the giant businesses we think about from, you said Airbnb to Uber to, I mean, all of your crypto apps, right? They're all built on this foundation that can grow multi-million dollar companies with the app store. And that's where we're kind of seeing that again, just like we saw it with the internet at first, right? With the dot-com bubble. And then we have the app store come out. We're in this like third wave. That's why we kind of almost call it web three, right? And it's this user-based internet that you can own your digital product, own your digital asset in another way. It feels similar to that same time, both times. It feels like this new energy that's in the room. And how did you find that spark? Well, first I want to say that like the accessibility portion you mentioned, maybe we can come back to this later, is extremely important because a lot of people think that you know, we're used to dragging around windows on our desktop, on our computers, or pressing close buttons or dialogue menus like OK and, and, you know, buttons and all of these things. And we sort of take it for granted, like these things have always existed. Hmm. But when you look at the history of human computer interaction, there's this famous video called The Mother of All Demos, where Doug Engelbart, who is the inventor of the, the mouse, he shows all of these different patterns, like moving around a cursor and pressing buttons and all. And it's so new. Like all of these things are things that nobody had ever thought of before. And now we take them for granted. But people actually put a lot of thought into developing these interaction patterns that are you know, fundamentally new ways of thinking about interacting with a computer. And I think right now in crypto, we're at the stage where we're asking all of our users to do what you did in eighth grade and build their own computer. Yeah. Right? And and we're, we're not bringing aboard the interaction designers, the artists. Like one of the first people to work on the Macintosh project was Susan Kerr, who was an illustrator who drew all the icons, like the sad Mac and like, you know, all of those. And it made, you know, something as small as that 
can make a big difference in the user experience. It just shows that you have to place a lot of effort into being intentional about what the experience looks like from start to finish. And this doesn't mean making it look pretty. The mouse doesn't make things look pretty. The mouse is not useful mm. for making things look nice. Mm -hmm. It's useful for helping you interact with the computer. And we're not at that point in crypto where we found those fundamental patterns, those fundamental like interaction level things to enable people to interact with their wallets, their assets, and their dApps in a, in a way that's similar to the way we interact with computer today. And that's so exciting because I mean, everyone makes a phrase, we're in the wild, wild west, right? We're all pioneers in this case, trying to figure it out as fast as possible, like and we're in a gold rush. And that just means like we saw it happen with the iPhone. Like we were there and I watched the rise of YouTube happen, going from cat videos to literally YouTube University. You look up anything on YouTube and you can find out how to do something, right? There's, there's this growth curve and we can see that happening. We know it's going to happen again for this because it's happened for all these other things. And we see how NFT technology with the provenance factor and just using artists as our first example, like artists being able to sell their work in another way and gain secondary sales is huge. It's a huge breakthrough just in that little, little piece. And now we're seeing other applications for NFTs pop up here and there with Gary Vee's doing a restaurant where you get your table with an NFT. And there's different things that are popping up, whether that's you're getting access to certain clubs or you're getting this or you're getting that. There's another way of showing how this works. And you, what you said was perfectly accurate. It was beautiful because... When I'm using this, it is not easy. It takes time. I'm currently struggling with a mint as we speak because I don't know what to do. And it's not intuitive, right? Even the term NFT is not intuitive. So you started Gamma because you wanted to make this easier. Yeah, so I totally agree. I think like it, it really bugs me when people are on Twitter making fun of NFT holders for not managing their keys properly or losing hundreds of thousands of dollars right. in assets. It's up to a point you can blame user error, but in the end, it's the fault of poor design. If something happens thousands of times over and over again, like you really have to question your premises. Like when the Macs first came out, they didn't come with a manual. They didn't come with any instructions. And even today, if you open a, you know, an, an Apple product, you don't see an instruction manual. You know, you might see like a little fold of fold booklet or something, but you don't see an instruction manual because the goal is that they actually said we won't put an instruction manual in here because if we don't do it, then we have to make our products intuitive and easy to use. And if you have to be consistently educating and consistently like correcting users, then there's probably something that you need to think from first principles. Are we designing things in the right way? And when it came for me starting Gamma, I came from a position like I had bought my first Bitcoin in 2014. It's not super early, but it's early enough, right, to be familiar with with cryptos, with cryptos development over the past few years. But I never really dove into it. And so over the past, you know, it was actually only really last year that I really like dove deep writing Solidity, going into the Ethereum ecosystem building a DEX and like, you know, finding all of those technical details of how Bitcoin works. I remember even like scribbling raw Bitcoin script on my on my notepad to just learn how how Bitcoin worked at a fundamental level. And then coming into the Stacks community, for example, and, and back home to Bitcoin, basically, after going from Bitcoin to Ethereum, and now back to Bitcoin, just seeing 
how personally frustrated I was with certain things, right? It didn't come out of like, oh, here's a market opportunity. There's a lot of money. Let me build a marketplace. I already had a job. I already had a well-paying job, right? I didn't need money, right? Or I didn't need to, to build a business. I was just personally frustrated with a lot of what was going on. Like the first time I was mining Miami coin, that's one of the first things I did on the Stacks ecosystem. There was no way to tell what mining really meant or, you know, how many people are committing, how much Stacks and what my profit was or things like that. And so that was the first thing I built on Stacks was like a dashboard to view your, your mining from Citicoins. And then I remember Patrick was like, can you send a, an NFT to the Miami City wallet? I didn't even understand that sentence really. Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what should I do? Right. And he's like, well, there are these stacks punks and, you know, they're images based on the crypto punks and you can send them to the Miami City wallet. And that task was like a lot more difficult than I expected. First of all, I didn't know where the Miami, like I knew the address of the Miami wallet, but how do I see what NFTs it has? How do I see which NFTs I have? Mm. Right. There are marketplaces that exist on stacks. But I can't, I don't have one place where I can just see who owns what and what NFTs a certain wallet owns. And that's because the marketplaces that were being built on Stacks back then were purely focused on making money. So they didn't think like what's useful to users. They were just like, how can I sell NFTs? And for me, it was like personally frustrating because the things that I wanted weren't there. So the first version of Gamma was called STX NFT. And it was just a place where you could type in a wallet address and see what NFTs they own, right? So I could type in jamil.btc or miamiwallet.btc and see what NFTs they own. And it was one of the first applications on Stacks to use BNS too. Like, this is another thing. It doesn't make money using BNS. I'm not, you know, charging money for people to use it, but it's useful. I want to go to stxnft or gamma.io slash, you know, jamil.btc and see which NFTs I have. And then I should be able to transfer them. Again, transferring an NFT, not something that makes you money. I make no money when someone transfers an NFT on Gamma. But you just build things that are fundamentally useful and a good experience. And then that, that's how you build a platform that lasts. That's how you build a platform that provides value to people. It's just by doing things that enable a good user experience, that minimize user frustration. If you feel frustrated at something, it's not your f- fault, right? It's it's the platform's fault. It's, 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 there simply aren't the tools that you need to get what you need to, to, to get done. And so the next logical thing was a lot of these early platforms were charging like 40% commissions from, from artists. Mm. And I've talked to artists who launched with those platforms and they had no flexibility. The platform was like, you do this or you do that. And I even talked to one main project that's very successful on Stacks right now. And they reached out to that platform and they're like, oh, we don't want another animal collection or something like that, right? right? And so they acted as these gatekeepers that were not only gatekeeping art, they were also charging exorbitant fees to artists. And the roadmap that I was thinking of is like, first, let's just get enable these artists to launch their collections and I'll write the smart contracts, I'll do whatever. And then the next step going forward was also just providing tools for artists to help themselves launch collections without needing an engineer or anybody in the middle. I see my job as the CEO of a marketplace to get rid of my job. I shouldn't be here as an intermediate point between artists and getting their work out or, you know, membership clubs and getting their memberships out. It should be in building platforms that make it easier for everybody just to accomplish what they want, both users, artists, collectors, whoever. Yeah. 
it's all about making it easier for the user, right? And that's what we were talking about with Apple. They make it easy for the user and intuitive. And I think when you were STX NFT and now Gamma, it's your through line is how can we make this easier for everyone? Because yeah, now that I've got these new internet friends, I want to send NFTs back and forth. I want to do this. I want to make it easy. How can I put that social aspect back in this game? Because everything in our life is social, especially on the internet. Yeah. So how can we put that back in there? That's that's really cool. Now we have that was all during this this say like this bull run. NFTs were going crazy. You built really fast. How was that bull run when everything was going nuts? I think there were some great things about it. Well, first of all, we were making money in the bull run, or we were at least you know the the volume was was there. It was also an intensely competitive environment. During a bull run, you're always in a race to meet the market where it is. Right? right? People are like looking at. For example, Board Ape Yacht Club came out in like April of last year, right? And after that, everybody tries to be the next Board Ape Yacht Club. And everybody tries to, to follow that roadmap, right? Almost to the T. Mm-hmm. You see everybody trying to follow that same template. And what happens then is you get, I call it exploration versus exploitation, right? There are stages in, in a technology where you explore and you try new things. And then there are stages where you like narrow down on one thing and like just run with it, like just run with that one thing really hard. And that's where we were in the bull market. Before that, we were exploring different things. We're like, we're creating new standards. NFTs, ERC721 didn't even exist a few years ago. Right. And that's like the fundamental protocol for NFTs. And so over the last bear cycle, we were doing a lot of exploration. We were figuring out, you know, what protocols should we develop? What, what apps should we develop? And then as soon as the NFT bull run took off, we were like, well, we've narrowed down on this like one use case for NFTs on this one style of platform on this like one way of doing things. And we're just going to run with those. And what we saw in the bull market is we got really good at those things, right? Like we've developed a great platform, a great marketplace, but we also had to compete very, very hard, like, you know, a, a lot to get those users. I mean, I remember... There were times when early on in the ecosystem, people wouldn't even want to work with us because we were too small. Mm -hmm. And then we eventually took over the previous competitors, Staxart, and then everybody wanted to work with us. It's it's like, it's it's, it's a very like cutthroat environment, right? Where you have to keep pushing new features, keep developing things, one-on-one like hustle with artists being like, you know, can you launch with us? You know, what rate do you want? What commission do you want? And even talking with users and things like that. So... I think the bull market was great for platform development and pushing us forward. But now it's the time to go back into that exploration phase, to take a step back and say, look, we're, if, even if we aren't making any money or even if we aren't getting all the projects, what do we focus on for the long-term future of NFTs for the next cycle? Okay, cool. This, this leads exactly where I want to go, which is where do you think the future of NFTs is going to go? So... We look at, say, Instagram, right? When Instagram first got started, it was just for niche photographers. Two, three years later, they've onboarded everybody and your mom to this. And they've copied Snapchat and they've done these other things. And now we have Reels. And it's like this whole new game. Where do you see NFTs maybe going in the next two, three years? Yeah, just, just as you said, with Instagram and with other platforms, I've seen a lot of these platforms as a user, go from no users to complete, you know, domination, right? Like, I remember the first time I ordered an Uber, it was like, it must have been 
2012 or 2013 or something like that. And it was a black SUV car with some guy with like a, you know, secret service style thing coming. And that that's all it had. Like Uber had all their cars. They didn't have Uber X. You couldn't, you know, it, the thing that made them successful, they didn't even have yet. Right. So a lot of these things, what they do is they focus on like a niche group of people at first and they, they haven't really found product market fit yet or they haven't really found a way to impact people's lives in a real new tangible way yet. And we're we're there with crypto, I think, like especially in the I mean, maybe in developing countries like El Salvador, it makes a big difference in a lot of people's lives. Yeah. But we're still at the point where like everybody outside the crypto sphere does not really know how it's affecting their lives in a tangible way. And it's not really useful to them yet, except as maybe an investment vehicle or something to play with with NFTs. And I think the big use cases for NFTs will come not when we make a big impact in just the digital world, but when we make an impact in the physical world as well. I think there are a lot of existing businesses and existing use cases that can make an impact in the real world. And I'll give you a few examples. One of my favorite NFTs is on Ethereum is LinksDAO, where they they raise money through NFTs to buy a golf course. And anybody with that NFT has membership to that, that course, right? And people already in places like Singapore are trading these golf club memberships in existing like golf courses as, as almost speculative assets. And I think it's, it's a great way of uh, ensuring this like concrete ownership, creating liquid markets for these memberships, there's one that even does a membership in a winery. There's one that's a city DAO that even bought a parcel of land. And they, there's governance over what you do with that land, whether it's for conservation or for making money or whatever. And I really love these use cases because it demonstrates not only, hey, do I you know, own you know, art or I own something on, on the internet, which is very useful in itself. It also describes something bigger of how you can use these tools to tangibly impact your real world lives and change real world businesses. And when people see that happening, when they go to their golf course or when they go to their winery, or even when they go to like a local local club, that they see, I'm not, you know, buying an NFT. This is just my membership, which is an NFT. Right. Yeah. yeah. Almost, I think the term NFT will almost go away. You're just buying it digitally and we'll know if it's an NFT or not. I do think it's going to happen, but which comes first? This is the chicken or the egg problem. Does the user come first or is it these, I don't know. You brought up this, which talks about the small niche group. I feel like it was just like crypto degens. It was that small niche group that we like proved concept with. And now we're branching out into artists and then it goes to the next group and the next group. So what are, what are you building at Gamma? As a marketplace, we're in an interesting position, right? Because we don't create art or we don't create use cases for NFTs, but we can facilitate those use cases through a couple of different things. One is through like the launch pad, right? So our launch pad is very, first of all, I think it was a, a huge unlock for Stacks for a period of like probably six months. We're the only place where you could launch an NFT by yourself, yeah. right? Like just without an NFT smart contract. And in a way that you owned too, like we wouldn't have control over the smart contract once you deployed it, which I think is pretty magical too. And sort of goes back to what I mentioned about ownership. Like we feel strongly that if you are minting an NFT, we shouldn't own that, right? Like you should own your smart contract. You should have control over it and, and be able to manage it through a UI as well. So like, for example, you shouldn't need a developer to set your mint price or enable, you know, your public sale or mint pass sale or whatever. And we actually have a lot of artists 
to be quite shocked at like, oh, can I get your help enabling the sale, setting this price or whatever? And just knowing that they could do all of these these things with like a click of the button, they were like, what, what were we doing before? Like, yeah. you know, if it, if we can make it, make it more accessible. But I think right now it just shows you that it, the design of the launch pads like those also influences what types of projects get launched on a launch pad. Right now it's very image based and very asset based. So a lot of the collections that we see launched are around images and art. But I think we can also enable a wider variety of use cases by making our launch pad a little bit more flexible and by emphasizing different use cases in addition to, to the art as well. I think right now the problem is you see a conflation between utility and art NFTs, and then people expect art NFTs to have utility and utility NFTs to have art. But I, I think art NFTs can stand on their own as, as art. You don't need to have utility on them. And likewise with utility NFTs, they don't need to be like beautiful or whatever, as long as they get the job done. So I think we can definitely design our creator tools to much better facilitate a wider variety of NFTs. And then our marketplace as well, to be able to showcase these different use cases for NFTs in a clearer way. Because right now, if you go to OpenSea, for example, and you go to a collection like Proof Collective, right, which is, you know, a great community of people that get early access to, you know, Kevin Rose's podcast, get access to these events. And all you see is like a wall of cards, right? And you're like, I don't, I don't, am I buying the image? Am I, what am I actually getting from this? Why am I paying like, you know, $60,000 or whatever for, for this, right? And I don't think it communicates very clearly what you're actually getting. Mm. And I think we can do a lot better of a job as a marketplace of having a more immersive experience of what this NFT actually means to you. And I don't know the specific design patterns of that comes out and that's what we're working on right now. But, but I know that the status quo is not it. <laughs> yeah, because there is this whole culture in NFTs where if I buy something, I'm expecting it to go up, right? Again, first use cases, crypto degens. They want one thing and one thing only. Number go up so they can flip. They don't care about much anything else. They don't care about art. They don't care about utility. It's like, will this rise in price so I can make a profit and move on? And that's that's cool. I'm glad they're there because it works and then they'll always be there for that. And it's I'm, we're now moving into the case, right? I'm seeing more and more people saying the utility is the art. You're buying my yeah. art just like you would buy a painting for your home. That's what you're buying here. And it is hard as of now to look on any marketplace in any blockchain to say, what am I buying and how does it work? And yeah, we're in this weird space. And I do hope within the next year, we'll have more differentiated use cases and be able to showcase that in each a different way. So whether that's art or whether that's utility, whether that's gaming, when that comes in its right form. I was just about to, I was just about to mention gaming as well. Actually, I think it's a good example of something that, like, I'm sure that NFTs will be useful in gaming. But I'm not a gamer, and I have no clue about how you'd build a blockchain gaming platform. And so here's the other thing, is what we want to build at Gamma especially is, like, the fundamental tools and the fundamental, like, base layer for a lot of these NFT-based tools and utilities. And then other people can build on top of that, mm. right, with their own websites, their own marketplaces, and they don't have to worry about some of the technical aspects that underlie it as well. So we don't have to be like the catch-all thing and develop the perfect platform for everybody because you may end up see, uh, seeing these verticals come down like 
gaming, which we know very little about, but that are super important for the future of NFTs. And there are people that are better suited to developing a gaming platform than I am, right? right. But, but we want to provide the tools, the infrastructure, and the support and set the standards such that they can build them and, and on top of the platforms we provide. We want artists, whether it's users, artists, creators, developers, we want them to think about the stuff that they know well, right? Artists know how to do art well. We want, we want to be able to make sure that they can focus on that. Gamers know gaming well, so we want to make sure that they can spend all the time focusing on that and not all the nitty gritty smart contract stuff that I enjoy right. and that we're good at. Yes. Yep. So you're talking about like Squarespace made websites easy, right? You don't need a fancy developer, right, to make a pretty website. You could go to Squarespace and they've got templates. You can just plug and play. Is that what you're kind of talking about here, but for smart contracts? Yeah, and I think we've we've started to build that. It's just not quite to the level of experience that, for example, Squarespace is at. But the fundamental building blocks are there, right? For example, with our creator tools, what you do is you're actually building, you don't see this, but what's happening in the background is a smart contract is being built up for you, like little Lego blocks, right? When you first start the portal, you start off with like the first Lego block. And then you say, hey, I want to add some metadata, or I want to add, you know, a mint pass, or I want to add an airdrop. And slowly the smart contract is being built from zero and is adding different components. Or I want to add, you know, minting in Miami coin or banana token or whatever, USDA, and you sort of see the smart contract getting built up from zero to a hundred, and there's so 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 much further you can go when you think of a smart contract as a composable piece of different pieces of code that you can build up from scratch and provide tools for people to develop these these larger contracts and these larger structures out without any code. Yeah, because I'm not a coder, but I know that it's all possible and it's good. And we need people like you to make it easy for people like us so we can make it easy for everybody. That's what we're about here. Making it easy. Exactly. And I think this goes back to like even the conversation about, about Susan Kerr and the Macintosh team. Like you don't need just engineers. Just engineers alone is not sufficient for both a company or an ecosystem. I think everybody, people often ask, you know, how can how can I contribute to the ecosystem? I'm not an engineer. I'm a musician or I'm a, I'm a, I'm an artist or I'm whatever. Right. And they say, you have the heart. And I'm like, no, <laughs> this is like looking at it the wrong way. Right. Everybody has their, in fact, I, I tend to try almost underestimate the role that I have as an engineer. Mm-hmm. Cause I downplay it. I'm like, I'm not important. It's the artists that are important and, and the, the community members and the collectors and the curators and everybody else. But the truth is that we all have like our little puzzle piece that, we fit in in the ecosystem, right? And it's not complete without everybody playing their part and contributing in the way that they feel is best. But in order to do that, we need the tools and we need the the basic layers in order for people to figure out how can I fit myself in this jigsaw puzzle of the ecosystem. And that's Web3 in a nutshell, right? This idea where everybody, you have a part to play in Web3. Whatever tools you have, whatever skill sets you have, whatever you're passionate about, it can fit. We just have to find the right place for you because in Web3, we're all about the user-owned internet. And you are the user. And ergo, you have a place in the ownership and how this all works. So we encourage you, if you're listening, if you're watching, to plug and play. Find out what you're good at and just try something out. That's what we're here for. 
Jamil, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was great. I loved everything we're talking about, starting from Apple, moving all the way now, because Gamma is there to make things intuitive, make things easy. And I'm thankful you're in the space to set precedent because we are so early. So you're setting precedent to people should own their smart contracts. It should be easy. And we're just empowering people along the way. And I'm real thankful that you're here. And likewise, Phosphorus, you know, I'm super appreciative of the work that the Airdrop crew does for the community as well. This is your time to shill. If you want to go make a collection, you can go to gamma.io, right? Gamma.io or create.gamma.io for the create portal. It's also linked on the main site. You can see you know, collections that other people have launched and made at gamma.io, browse photography, fine art, utility, or generative collections, and just Find the NFTs that you vibe with or that you have a great experience with. That you vibe with. is that's the right. that, That's the right wording yeah. right there. Yeah. Totally. Also, we're going to have Jamil's Twitter in the description. Make sure you follow him. He has some great threads about all of this stuff. And he's just a thought leader in the space. So please go follow him. Go to Gamma. Check some things out. And together, we're going to learn about how NFTs work. Thanks so much, Phosphorus. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to Airdrop, everyone. If you like what you heard, please rate and review the show and post on Twitter that you listened to this episode and tell people how amazing it was and how it changed your life and and you'll never be the same. Uh, Make sure you tag at Airdrop Show on that tweet about how we changed your life. Um, And so we can so we can see your tweet and we can say, oh, you're so welcome for changing your life. And remember, it's not faith in technology. It's faith in people. Yeah. Steve Jobs. (laughs) 